0: your mind your mental preparation for going on safari is completely different to if you believe the next 10 years are just a zoo where it's all organized and I'm going to walk my way through and tick all these boxes and i think that's my my worry is that a lot of people think they're just going to walk up to the next 10 years play out the patterns of the last 10 buy a CRM and win in the real estate industry
1: You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how ConnectNow can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean.
2: Hey everyone, Sam here. Wayne Gretzky famously said, skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. In business times are changing so quickly, it's often hard to predict where that puck might be going. But that is the subject of today's podcast with someone who's well known to the real estate industry that spends a great deal of time thinking about consumer habits and the future. So Nigel Dalton, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Sam. It's wonderful to be again, part of the PropTech community and the, the whole community of real estate in Australia. It's a fun place to be. I've missed it. I've been working at ThoughtWorks for the last couple of years who, of course, worked, have worked for a long time with realestate.com.au. I think that's why they had to give me the job, to be honest. But, <laughs> that, you know, it's impossible to ignore prop tech in Australia. It is so dynamic and going so fast and the industry changing rapidly.
2: We've missed you too, actually. Missed you both at REA and on the podcast. And I was going to ask, um, you know, for the other people out there about your role at ThoughtWorks. Tell us a bit about ThoughtWorks and what it is you do there.
0: Well, it's a global company. They're, they kind of solve all the hard technical problems for a number of companies around the world, all sorts of different scales, mostly large. And really, the, the, our behavior in the last 10 years has just been like a business generation machine for ThoughtWorks. You remember 2011, Mark Andreessen said, software is eating the world. I'm here to report that software ate the world and it's got <laughs> indigestion. Um, So we're the Pepto-Bismol of software in that we are helping people unravel the unholy messes that they've made of their organizations buying too much software, the wrong software, or making a few shortcuts. And over 10 years, the result today is a really complex soup of applications and things. That's a lot of my work. I approach it from the social science side. So we've got engineers, product and consumer experience experts, data scientists, And I'm kind of in the digital operations and transformation group, which is all about the people. I'm a social scientist, really always have been. That's actually my degree of all things. Got back to it at last and and super loving tackling complex organizational issues, particularly around growth from a sort of a social science perspective. And someone once said social scientists are the sort of people who make really interesting things suddenly sound very boring and ordinary. And really, ordinary things sound a bit more interesting.
2: I think I've spoken to you a number of times, and time has flown because the conversation's always been so interesting. And I mean, speaking of interesting, you've still got a lot of things going on um, in in and around that role. So, um, last time we were talking, you were telling me about an app called the People Spot. Tell me about your involvement in that.
0: Oh, you're very kind. Allow me to uh, spruik my side hustle. So, a group of friends what did you do in the lockdown Is you know what our grandchildren are going to ask us i suppose and uh, what we did in the lockdown was help uh, two friends who are coaches and psychologists bring to life all of that coaching advice with which normally just you know coaching goes to the to the the lucky ones really in in our world the uh, the real estate industry has a real respect for coaching i got to hear to tell you a lot of businesses don't and it's a, it's to their detriment I've been the benefit of tremendous coaching over the years from executive coaches and just people who book coaching mostly in leadership roles, because it is. It's, a, it's not a craft you, you're born with. And you can read a few things, but there's nothing like someone in the moment looking at how you handle things to do that. And so we all had a common interest. Let's democratize coaching. So we built an app called PeopleSpot. Goodness me, startups are more expensive than I ever imagined, Samantha. It's uh, quite a thing. Uh, it's an iOS and Android app. And it is there for enterprises, really. We look; with, It's a large organization problem where, you know, you've got an HR department. They've got someone who's a, an HR business partner. They're very stressed in 2022. I don't know if you know, occupational safety and health now also covers psychological safety. And so, your, you know, your work cover premiums are going to be based on are you making it a safe place to work, have you made any effort at all to give people good skills to, to front up to those people moments? Now, Australians are the world champions of avoidance. Uh, we probably had a few people speak about that. Avoid making a decision. you it turns up in the whole, what's the terrible phrase from from real estate industry? Buyers are liars. No, I actually think buyers are avoiders and they'll lie just to get out of the awkwardness of that situation. And uh, we're aiming to eliminate avoidance and get people to walk up to those conversations that make you very nervous. Oh, I need to talk to my boss about, I need a pay rise, or I've got a weird email from my colleague, I need to have a, a chat to them, and I don't even know how to start it. So for a TikTok generation, one, two, three, here's, here's your thing, you, a little, little bot, which between you and me is not really AI, it's just a script, because that's how good coaching works. It's kind of a branched tree with questions and answers. and Yeah, we're super happy to have launched it and got it out there with the first clients. And uh, now it's all about growth, which having that and a day job, are we crazy, Sam?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think you were the one that said you were never going to get involved in a startup again, but yet here you are.
0: I did. Yeah, passion project. That's all.
2: Yeah, I was going to say it sounds really worthwhile, and I guess, you know, like I'm picturing, you know, because we're both parents to Gen Z um, humans, that um, in the future that they're going to, they, they don't really want to talk about their feelings immediately. They kind of like to explore, you know, like what their options are and then make a decision on a course of action. And I think um, the people spot is just a lovely um, demonstration of that. Actually, that you know allows younger people to sort of you know consult with at least something before they jump in and have a conversation they might regret.
0: Gen Z is a good label. Gen F is my name for them. Generation Fortnite. Yep. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure there's plenty of your listeners have have had a nightmare with Fortnite and in their lifetime with oh I have lost my child to Fortnite. I'm, I'm here as a social scientist to make that uh, not so painful because that generation are going to be critical in the real estate industry as employees. You know, on the one hand, if you can build trust with them with some advice because they're able to learn from something quickly on the, on the web or in an app, they will, they'll lean into that. You watch them playing Fortnite. They spend about a third of their time on YouTube or otherwise learning how to play. And imagine if in real estate, An agent or a property manager thought that it was their job to learn that there was no differentiation at all between learning and doing their job and that's what this generation does now they're just coming into the workforce it's fascinating when you start seeing job applications from people born in the 2000s gosh nothing like that to make (laughs) you feel old but they are immediately good at things that the industry needs they're good at strategy They're they're prompt and and just direct communicators. You know, that's where we got emojis from, for cutting the crap out of communication. They're great negotiators. Beware that. They'll be negotiating. And with the PeopleSpot app, probably negotiating a good salary as well. Collaboration. You can't survive Fortnite without collaboration. It just doesn't work at all. They're resilient. They bounce back. You know what? They, They lose. They get killed. They're just logging straight back in, spawning again, and away they go in my generation you lose we lose something and we oh we're in the corner for two days trying to recover our egos they don't they don't differentiate between online and offline you know it's like, so they're they're perfectly comfortable in the metaverse they accept ai they love the data and they just demand a transparency we're not really used to having with our employees you know and that's going to be the challenge with them as is, is Keeping them stimulated, but gee, I, I mean, I like to, I, I like to remind myself of this: that 2050 is less years away than 1990.
2: Mm. <laughs> that's scary, actually.
0: Now, you and I probably remember what we were roughly doing in 1990, just on the edge of the internet and technology eras, and and both involved in the tech industry. And God, that's it's sort of both yesterday and two generations ago's technology, 2050, the acceleration's going to be triple the change we've seen since 1990.
2: Yeah, it's, well, it's interesting, actually, because I've been trying to convince people that 2030 is not too far away. And so you have just actually made it very real that 2050 is not too far away. So thank you for that. I think
0: (laughs) it's frightening, isn't it? It's, it's frightening. It is like, uh, yeah. And the mega trends that are going to happen in Australian society going to 2050 are the big picture for the things we need to think about.
2: Yeah, so there's some of the things that, um, like, we missed you so much, obviously, that, um, you know, I called you a couple of weeks ago and said, come to Elite Retreat with us and and talk about some of these trends emerging in the real estate industry. I mean, lots has changed in the last couple of years, um, you know, particularly with the pandemic. And, you know, and I think we both agree that we still haven't seen play out some of the, you know, some of the long-term effects of all the lockdowns and things like that. I mean, we are starting to see it with, you know, car parts not being available and things like that. But what do you think are some of the some of the trends that the real estate industry should be
0: aware of? I think that the number one thing to start thinking about, and particularly if you're a multi-generational sort of agency or company and business in this industry, is aging. You know, compound interest was once called out as the sort of most irrevocable force in the world. I'm going to say it's aging. And if you look at the data, we I'm the last boomer, 1963 birth. And the people who are before me are now on the verge of retiring and their property needs to change dramatically. I'm not saying going out and start building old people's homes. I'm saying, what are the alternatives and and what are we going to do for a generation that the flip side of there's a lot of jealous millennials going, Hey, you hogged all the property and you've enjoyed the incredible fruits of a booming market in this period of time. So it, by 2050, now my favorite year in the future, um, the predominant five-year age group in Australia. What do you reckon? Who's, you know, women, men, and then say five-year age groups, who's going to have the biggest voice in the Australian population pyramid in 2050? This is a pop quiz question for you, Sam. Have a think through, because it's not a pyramid shape. There's a clue. Used to be a pyramid with a lot of kids at the bottom. Not many old people at the top to support. a very different shape by 2050.
2: Is it because we're all living longer?
0: All living longer. We have not had as many children. I mean, the world has less people in it by 2080 than it does today. That's a shock. you know. And, and as long as we don't manage to ruin the environment for those who are left running the place by then, we've probably got a good chance of getting this planet back under control. But the number one age cohort in 2050 is women aged 80 to 85, and they're probably living alone. Wow, because they'll have outlived any partners that they have, or you know, suffering. Hopefully, we may have solved it by then. But right now, the plague is homelessness for women over fifty in Australia. It's another another of my hobbies to try and solve one day. So, aging population, and and in this intervening period, you know, even financial products that start getting built. Reverse mortgages were hot in nineteen eighties. Got very controversial. Someone's going to figure out a humane and fair way of making that happen. And distributing money across the generations but you think of the you know that we all all the boomers you know whether it's a stereotype or not have a home an investment property a beach property they all got to go somewhere and i think that's going to be highly impactful on the industry i don't know if that means with less people to buy prices are going to dramatically drop in australia that's very hard to pick but what we must make sure we don't get is, is an incredible gap between rich and poor over that time. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to verge into politics, and I know this is a real estate podcast, but uh, I think caring about those things are going to be quite important. What what will we want as an aged population? Great access to technology, a really efficient house, energy efficiency, connection to community, very very much so. And I think those are things that the real estate industry should care about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of technology stuff going on in the real estate industry at the moment, and you touched on it a minute ago and that was and that's the metaverse. So, you can't um, you almost can't pick up well, you know, a story in the newsroom on any given day like we're getting a lot of stories on so and so sold something in the metaverse. Um, in fact, I, I feel like Jimmy Rees missed it in the his You're an Agent video, like I sold something in the metaverse. Um, what do you think about um, where that's going at the moment?
0: Well, I think we've we'll got to look to that Generation F, the Generation Fortnite, to get a kind of calm picture of what the metaverse is going to mean. I, the, the, I mean, the, Facebook have been telling us for ages there'll be a billion people in the metaverse and... Mark Zuckerberg's probably regretting putting that on a giant slide at his annual talk for four or five years in a row. But like all technology change, there's kind of two things associated with one, it takes longer than we imagine to make an impact. And secondly, the impact that does happen is, is 10 times what we expect it to be. And whilst it's taking a long time, it ruins its credibility and we all get bored when it comes around it's going to be a real shock to a lot of people. Now GNF will manage it no difficulty at all. They're already living in the metaverse. They have done since you know the first game started coming out World of Warcraft, uh, Second Life. We laugh about them. Oh, yeah, Second Life, it's so stupid. Actually, no, they were serious uh, like social experiments on how it could work with people living two lives online and offline. And what we've got now is a generation that can reconcile their O2O o life online to offline, really important business concept too, very, very easily. So does somebody paying 450,000 for a property next to Snoop Dogg in Decentraland sound like something that's ridiculous or crazy? It's got elements of sensibility and insanity in it. And that's this is the dilemma in, in this world we face. It's neither one nor the other. It's on a continuum. The historians call these times liminal times. They're the times between eras. we the times between the last century where we knew everything was slow. Five-year plans, products lasted forever, innovation was slow. The future, 2050, is, is, is new, new things every three months, and technology is changing all the time. We're in the in-between. The in-between is very uncomfortable. And the same. And so we've got all these things that, I, how do you judge? That's the problem. I mean, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and like that, they're terrible In NFTs. We are talking about some of the most ridiculous exploitations of technology that's just gambling. So that puts us off the metaverse completely because it's full of NFTs and it's full of all those things when we actually really need to think about a generation that, for example, have been absolutely excluded from buying property in Australia now. Even if you know the, the government who didn't get in had offered access to their super, they were still going to struggle to, to get into a mythology around property ownership that we've been perpetuating for 50 years. Everyone wants property, probably 150 years. When you prevent them doing that, they're going to buy property where they can, which might be decentraland, Uh, a bonus if you're living next to Snoop Dogg, I suppose, because it's got a little bit of a cachet of cool. Um, But yeah, I I understand it. Um, It's pretty hard to know what's going to happen. But trust me, it's real estate.
2: I feel like the most practical application or example, I don't even know if it's an example, but um, of the metaverse is this idea of a digital twin like, you know, with buildings that are able to talk to you about, well, it's obviously an electronic version of the building that can talk to you about what's what's going well and what's not going so well. Um, do you see, like, you know, I always, I always envisaged, here it is, I always envisaged, this is years ago, that, you know, property managers would have access to internet-enabled properties that would create the ability for more proactive management than what we see now in reactive management. I mean, I was, I mean, you and I were both around in that dot bomb era in, um, in 2000. I can remember Cisco back then we used to give people tours of this I home, um, you know, where the, the fridge was connected to Woolworths and, uh, the coffee pot was connected to the internet and there was a security system and it was like, it was revolutionary. It was, it was, you know, it had some very big routers in the garage, <laughs> like, you know, for the 2000, year 2000 version of Netflix. But, you know, I, I would have thought that that would have progressed a lot further than it has.
0: Yeah, look, I'm the, you couldn't find a bigger fan of technology and, and all those kind of things. I'm building a house in New Zealand at the moment, which will be the retirement home. Ask me how many IoT devices will be in that house, Sam.
2: I'm feeling like you, you're going to say zero already because they're just too much trouble.
0: There will be zero because we're in this period, this transition period where the standards are changing so rapidly. I mean, I've, I've loved my Sonos speaker in my house on and off for the last five years. Right now, it drives me utterly crazy because the app's not working so well. It doesn't connect very often. And I really, I think they, I don't think she mind me telling this story, but um, I was very kindly invited to Tracy Fellow's house. So Tracy has a, she she was such a canny investor in property bought in the downtime in New Zealand. And uh, it's a lovely, lovely house, fully IOT enabled, absolutely remarkable. And went downstairs. (laughs) She said, look, if you're down there, can you see if you can make that panel work? Because we can't get the lights going in the downstairs lounge. And I'm looking at this, this LCD panel going, like, where's the turn it off and on again button? Because... It was very difficult to understand. No, but hadn't, they hadn't left the manual, the previous owners. And I'm going, you know what? The only solution here is this is all going to have to be ripped out and just put a manual off and on switch in here. And I think that's where technology is going to go. Is in the, it's going to feel far more analog, but no, I am connecting zero IoT devices. I love the. there's a wonderful witty thing on, on the web recently of someone going um, IoT devices, everything in your home connected, and, and an engineer had purportedly tweeted back going, I only have one device connect, that is IoT in my house, and it's my computer printer. And I keep a gun in the drawer below. For the moment, it beeps something I don't understand. <laughs> that's kind of where I'll be. There's, look, there's, the narrative is fantastic. I, I'm, and I love all that stuff. But I'm, it's really another ten years before that becomes like you know your brilliant analogy of of electricity 100 years ago before it becomes invisible, which, you know, I I think what Jeff Gray was saying in his podcast last time about, you know, when you don't see it, that's when it's working.
2: Yeah. Speaking of the dot bomb, um, and I I probably have to ask this too, is there's murmurs around the place that um, we're about to head into another, not... You know, like in the year 2000, um, tech stocks had risen and then kind of crashed and I lost my job and so did a heap of other people working for Cisco and places like that. But, um, you know, there's murmurs at the moment too that, you know, some tech stocks are, are going south as well, like on the back of severe losses from some of the, the VCs and stuff like that. So what are you seeing in that area?
0: Well, of course, I have a strong interest in it having a, being part of a startup and thinking about the VC world look the, f- the froth is incredible and this time around the 2022 downturn probably it's a bit of a frontier land for us because we didn't have massive investment in nfts and blockchain and really unproven technologies we, we had the internet and the web which by 2000 let alone 2008 when we were sort of started to see, the emergence of Web two and Facebook and all those kind of things. I think there's some pretty dodgy things out there that have been exploited, and the the pylon of American venture capitalists into Bitcoin and all of those kind of interesting technologies has has been a little bit of a a kind of a like what do they call them? They've they've invested like drunken sailors would be the would be the correct <laughs> metaphor. And uh, that's, that's unfortunate. Now, what happens, they're rich people. They've got tons of money in those funds, more money than they've ever been able to invest. And that's actually been the venture capital crisis in the US for the last six or seven years is they can't invest it fast enough. They've got a bit loose with the money. And it's gone to all sorts of mad things, which they happily paid ridiculous valuations for their investment. And those have become very sober in the last period of time. Now, my experience in America, having done five years there at the dot bomb of 2000 onwards, timing is the secret of good comedy and uh, making a living, is that America overreacts dramatically. And they don't hang around on layoffs and they don't hang around on cuts, all those kind of things. There'll be a group of people who have a solid business idea who are genuinely comfortable to ride this out. They've got enough money to last them two years and they're going to be huge when it's out of all this. It's such a buy market if you know the names and phone numbers of those people.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately I don't. But, you know, like if anyone's listening and they do, please let us know. Speaking of trends, um there's something that you often say, and we've just, I mean, without sort of explicitly saying it, um, is that sometimes a trend and something that is a fad can look the same to the untrained eye. What do you mean by that?
0: It's possibly you're hinting very delicately at my wonderful quote, having, having been involved directly in innovation in the property industry, that um, being early is the same as being wrong. <laughs> And that timing is the secret of great comedy. And it's also the secret of any kind of innovation is that you have to have pull and you have to solve a problem. And therein lies the struggle with innovation around particularly anything driven by tech is identifying and noticing the problem or the struggle that people have. And that's the genius of of any organization that's done well in, in the last period of time, I think the best technology innovations in Australian property have been where they've got to the nub of a problem through insight. A lot of people who are involved in the industry feel the pain and can step up to solving that pain, You know, thinking about Propic, thinking about Rita from AIR You know, as two people who've done an amazing job, both from the industry. No coincidence, accordingly. And uh, I, having done so much work in virtual reality and 3D only to have to kind of put it in the cupboard until a pan- and then a pandemic turns up and it's the hottest thing in the world. Very ironic for me, but that is the nature of innovation and, and cutting edge tech. It's really a matter of who can afford to invest in that. And the, that's, that's the drama of the next period of time. I'm actually a believer right now. I've, 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 read, a, I've read a few things since I last saw you actually. Uh, the Innovation Delusion, one of my favourite new books, Leave and Sell, and what what they it's it's two authors who become absolutely sick of the whole innovation speak corporate theatre around being amazingly innovative and investing in the frothy dot com world, all those kind of things. What they're saying is that. Uh, a, it's bullshit and that statistically more new things in the last 20 years have come out of people paying attention to the operations of their business, to the nuts and bolt customers, to the frontline consumer experience than any technologies at all. That the beginning of innovation has been right down in the weeds of running your company. So they're kind of starting the, the, the anti-innovation movement and just going, Pay attention to running your company, which incredibly, ironically, is suddenly so hot right now with VCs, that those companies who are keeping their money are the ones who can show they can make a profit, run an organization, and serve customers. And uh, I think that's going to be really hot. And I think it's probably less about virtual reality and more about harnessing the software that you've invested in in the last 10 years and into customer service and into things where you do supplement the person in the role and don't don't replace the person in that sense. But, yeah, painful lessons learned.
2: So let's talk about that uh, for a moment because um, the last time we talked to you, you said you need to go and read a book by Bob Moester called Side Selling 101. Uh, and so I did my homework. I did go and <laughs> I bought the book, the, phys- the, the physical book <laughs> and read it.
0: You're an angel. Well done. a student.
2: One of the big things that, you know, that I picked up, for, like, you know, and it's funny, like I think Bob says in the book, once you start thinking about things in terms of um, the buy side or de- the demand side, you can't unsee it. And um, so I quickly smashed out an article today about my own real estate experience, which, you know, inevitably you you have an idea, then you start passively looking, then you start actively looking, and then there's some sort of a trade-off or a struggle as to why you might or might not do that um, through to onboarding um, and then through to, I think it's habit creation as number six. Uh, hope, hopefully I've got all, all of that right. In, um, in a real estate context, why do you think this is an important read?
0: It's a funny book. It uh, came to me from a friend in the lean world. So I, I'm now these days a director of the Lean Enterprise Institute, which is an American-based research and education institute that's trying to take the lessons from Toyota in the 60s, 70s, and 80s from the last century forward into this period of time. That's relevant because they were facing very volatile, uncertain complex and ambiguous times, trying to build build not only a country, but an industry and an an economy out of the ashes of World War II. And bring that forward into the 2020s when there's so much, we're not making so many cars, um, but we are doing a lot of service-based industries. And how does the lean thinking of that go to this point? So one of my lean colleagues rang me up and said, you've got to read this book. And I'm going, oh my God, sales book. I mean, I, I kind of, I'm the world's worst salesperson, I know, but do I really need to read a sales book? He's going, no, it's, a, it's not a sales book. It's, it's a lean book because it is all about going to what we call the Gemba, the, walking with the customer and in their shoes. And so I read it and, oh my goodness, I was, I was shocked because I honestly thought Clayton Christensen had invented the concept of jobs to be done. And turns out it's Bob. And Bob loaned it to the Christensen Institute and Clayton made it famous accordingly. But gee, it's a good book. Chapter three, Lombardo Real Estate. He doesn't actually name it in the book, but a little bit of research on the internet helps you find it. He, so uh, to tell his story simply, I mean, young guy, not great at learning a few disabilities, really tunes his eyes and ears and gets some tremendous guidance from a salesperson earlier in his career when he he'd go and about being a marketer in, in benchtops for kitchens. And uh, he learns the one simple fact of actually, if you want to know how to sell more of these, you better go and actually work at what the equivalent of Bunnings in the US and talk to customers. And the two little things he, he takes away from that, so brilliant. Like people cannot actually envisage an entire benchtop from a one-inch square sample. And having eight shades of white or cream is less useful than having two. And... He uses that advice and gets it done and, you know, their sales go up immeasurably. He takes that years later and and invests as a slightly wealthier bloke into Lombardo Real Estate, which are a property developer in the Midwest. They are a small one. They're, you know, probably like a lot of Australian property developers. They can have got enough capital to invest in a street and they'll build spec homes and, you know, Plans, good marketing. Remember gatefold brochures. Even have those kind of things. And he takes the same approach of noticing, and listening, and observing to that thing. And uh, the two great things I love out of it are he discovers that the struggle that people are having is not choosing a house. Like that isn't the problem. There is plenty of choice, and they like the houses. The struggle they're having, which starts on Thanksgiving when they've got the family around doing the big family event in american culture and they've got to do the entire catering and the dishes and the cleanup and Mum goes do you know what i'm done that's it got kids in their 20s with kids we're not doing this anymore like we're going to their place next time we've done this for 25 years No, nah, we're done and we, you know what Well, to solve it we'll move to a smaller house so they can't come and that's the moment you've then got sort of 100 days to find a solution to that, that particular problem. So he's met a lot of those people out there opens on the, with the show home on, on the development. And he observed that their problem was, in fact, packing their old house up and moving it to the new house. And so that's the offer they built in. They took out the free benchtop upgrade to Corian or whatever was the latest thing. And they put in the free, I'm using inverted commas there because everyone knows that's not free, Uh, removalists, high-class, white-gloved removalists who would pack you up and move you into the new place with no effort. I think that unleashed about 25% more sales because he was so brilliantly spotting the struggle. And then he saw a second struggle, which is they had too much stuff, which I can tell you, if you look behind me, those lucky enough to be online, I have too much stuff too. And anticipating a move of my own in a couple of years. I'm, that's going to block me moving absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Is this two 40-foot containers worth of stuff? Do I have to sort it? He solved that by having things go to a little pavilion on the, on the close, on the street that they were developing, which was only there temporarily, and they could lay out their stuff, and your niece, who's getting married next year, could come and pick up that dining suite next year. And uh, the rest could go to charity, but you weren't forced and, and pressured into it. Two insights seeing the struggle i think the total like 60 70 80 increase in sales for that little property developer and who couldn't do with that in these times so simple actually free to do free to go and get those insights but you've got to have the eye for it
2: i feel like that's um you know that that's real innovation too when you when you see the struggle and and i mean it made me think about when i read the book as as um as instructed um it made me think of my own struggle actually um a year and a bit ago when we moved to Queensland, you know, like it started with, oh, I'm pissed off with Sydney. I don't want to live above the freeway anymore. Then the pandemic hit. Then it was like, oh, let's go and see what the Gold Coast is like because we've been to ARIC a few times and we like it up there. Um, and then it sort of turned serious the second that Amy left school and, um, you know, so then we became, we went into that stage three. But then, um, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, we looked around and ended up finding something perfect in Runaway Bay. But then I thought to myself, but I don't want to go all the way to Runaway Bay. I want to be with the cool people in Broadbeach or Burley. And, you know, like um, I, don't, I don't want to be that far from the airport and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, then the trade-offs started coming. But you can have a dog up there and you can have a disinterested cat and uh, in, in actual fact, really Runaway Bay, South Brisbane, because, you know, then you're between the two airports and um, the house is big enough. For, and so, you know, like it, it's it's interesting that, you know, there was a struggle there with me. Nobody helped me with that struggle in the real estate industry and I think that's a real opportunity. Um, And then secondly, like the onboarding um, in the real estate industry or what what Bob describes as the onboarding is actually being crushed and paralysed by paperwork and removalists and, um, (laughs) you know, all that sort of stuff, which again I think is a massive opportunity. And then, you know, and then you stage six, which is habit creation. Well, nobody's created a habit for me in any of those transactions during the move. So, you know, when we talk about the future, like, you know, and, and, you know, what he sees as a struggle, I just see so much opportunity there for innovation, not of a prop tech kind, but of a people kind.
0: Absolutely. What's our most precious commodity? Time. You know, you don't have any more, you can't make any, any day of the week. So getting help with those things. I mean, you think of that, actually, let's just talk Secretly, here for a moment. Think of the saving you and I are making now in the average real estate transaction because our commission that we pay has dropped so dramatically. Now that's a problem for the client, for the for the agents of Australia. Uh, how can you get that back? Well, what about offering additional services, those kind of things? And I I worry that the obsession of the Australian real estate industry is automation. Just and and I worry that they're going to automate. If you'll pardon my French, some pretty shit services and processes that exist today in their businesses that aren't going to serve them through till 2050 or even 2030. To be fair, and you really need to sort those things out before you automate in your business. I I, I think the probably the most money in the industry has been wasted on CRM in the last ten years where it's one thing to buy the software and and get it onto people's devices. It's another thing entirely to get a group of humans to believe that filling in their customer details and contact trails and those kind of things is actually of any value.
2: Yeah, to them, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I can remember Sarah from uh, AIR, the lecture I was – I followed her, hard act to follow, and her telling of a situation. She'd been into an agency who had 22,000 active buyers on their database – and her, her, she's just said, well, you know what? This is good news. You never need to go on realestate.com.au ever again, or domain or whoever, because you've got so many active buyers in your books. Every single property you ever get as a listing will sell. Oh, well, maybe, actually, I'm not sure they're all active in that sense. And if they were selling that agency, they'd have been trumpeting the fact they had such an enormous buyer database. It was just a list of people who'd ever turned up to an open."
2: which is very different,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a very different thing. And so the quality of the data, and you know, they probably paid a lot of money for Salesforce or whatever it is that they had in that system, but their business processes were terrible. Uh, their culture of sharing data and keeping data as a precious asset was terrible. Wasting your money, to be honest. And I'll, I'll be first to admit that as a technologist in the last 10 years, I have not helped by putting out there the sexiest new tech solution this this year, And selling it to people,
2: we sure do live in interesting times. And I think what you just said there too about um, over automating—like I've I've seen that myself. You know, like when when I joke make jokes about being crushed by paperwork, it's all automated paperwork. But there are plenty of opportunities there. And um, I run it, you know. And this is why I got in touch with you again because the theme of Elite Retreat is beyond the default. Um, So I'm delighted that you're going to be joining us. on July 31 through to August the 3rd. And I believe, you know, um, Mr. Beyond the Default himself, Jason Fox.
0: Super excited about that opportunity because I do think that the human side of real estate has never gone away. We're obsessed with prop tech and all of the magic that it brings, all those kind of things. I am just astonished at the explosion in that sector. And we're at risk of forgetting that at the core of this is humans and shelter. So in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, those two things are at the bottom level. They're the foundation of what we do. And I, I Jason and I met at, a, we both spoke at a conference some time ago. He'd written a fabulous book, which is now probably out of print, called The Game Changer. So if you're a digital book person, you would probably be able to get it. And I used that to help guide how we ran technology at REA Group. That's how good it was. I went back to the office and said, you know what, let's just imagine what we're doing is a bit like humans playing games online where, and the, and this is the Fortnite thing. This is a miracle of Fortnite. It shows you exactly what you need to create resilient people who can lean in for hours on end to a task. If you look at a Fortnite screen, if, and if you haven't seen Fortnite, if you're a listener and you've got an annoying nephew or niece who does play it, just go and sidle over and ask them to show you how to play it and be genuinely interested because what they've got on screen... Is a progress bar, how much life points they have, what's their health, how many things have they collected along the way, where they've got a full dashboard of how they're doing, a map of where they're going, and a really clear sense of purpose and goal. How many people back in the workplace even know how much progress they've made this week, they just turn up to work and go for another day in the salt mines. And that was revolutionary for us to go, oh, we thought we were good But actually, we're we're not treating the people who are doing the work as well as we could. We're not even as good as the most basic computer game. You think right back to my computer games growing up in in the 80s. You know, we had those things—a progress bar—and it's very. And humans need that absolutely. So I'm psyched because he is someone who's had to reconcile a world of technology with a world. His PhD is in human motivation. I love, he's so humble about it. He's saying everything I wrote for that is, uh, you know, probably bullshit. And he's set about thinking about that all over again for the last decade or so. And uh, what a great, what a great person to have on the team.
2: It really does make sense to me, though, the idea of, um, and it wasn't until talking to him and talking to you, and I'm so delighted that you're going to be talking together at this event. But um, this idea of, you know, we always design our courses with the the idea of, you know, getting a reward every time you complete a stage, you know, and, um, you know, and and then I looked back and I thought, well, actually, that's why Transform works is because we reward people at every stage instead of just, you know, sort of... um, you know, it just being like work, 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 work. It's like work, reward, work, reward, work, reward. So, you know, it'd be really interesting to hear you two jamming about that.
0: Look, my favourite metaphor of what the next 10 years is going to be about is, is this, is it going to be a jungle or is it going to be a zoo? Now, there's the times we felt the industry was a bit of a zoo, but... Uh, In a more scientific sense, two experiences where you're both going and both of them, you're going to discover wild animals, amazing exotic creatures, right? So which one of these is your perception of how the next 10 years is going to be? Because if you go to the zoo, I guarantee you within two and a half hours, you've seen every exotic animal on the planet in a perfectly organized walkway with ice creams on the way, you get to the end. If you haven't seen the alligators, you're extremely disappointed. You know, you went to the tigers at feeding time, and a lot of people think the real estate industry is going to be like that. It's all laid out for them if they just tick the right boxes and you turn up at the right time. They will see everything, and everything will lay out. And I'm I'm here to suggest, in fact, the next ten years are going to be more like a safari in the jungle. And if have you been on safari, Sam?
2: No, I haven't. It's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a camping kind of girl.
0: <laughs> right. Well, in the fine print signing up, it says, we do not guarantee you will see one animal on this trip. Yeah. It's just every possibility you will reach the end of this safari and all you will have seen is landscape. You will have encountered nothing. So out of the bush equally could come a charging elephant, which could be Google in the real estate industry. And you just don't know. Your mind, your mental preparation for going on safari is completely different to if you believe the next 10 years are just a zoo where it's all organized and I'm going to walk my way through and tick all these boxes. And I think that's my, my worry is that a lot of people think they're just going to walk up to the next 10 years, play out the patterns of the last 10, buy a CRM and win in the real estate industry.
2: Yeah. Well, what I'm really interested to hear about at the event is who you think might be the elephant charging into the room, because I know you've got some pretty interesting ideas on that, but we might just leave it there for today. Um, If you'd like to buy tickets and come and pick Nigel's extraordinarily large brain. Uh, eliteretreat.com.au. He'll be with us the whole time. uh, And I'm absolutely stoked. Um, Once again, time has flown talking to you, Nigel, and um, our hour is nearly up. Can you believe it? Uh, So I wanted to thank you for spending some time with us and um, for talking about the future and and all that sort of thing. If there was one thing that you'd like to leave everyone with today, what would it be?
0: I think it's a little bit of hope it's very easy to get overwhelmed by the scale of the industry and and those elephants running out of the jungle amazon google facebook all those kind of people with immense finances downturn or not wealthier than australia put together uh is that this is not a war of global companies versus local companies ignore the globals they cannot get down to your neighborhood what you need to be is the best player in your neighborhood. We always knew this at realestate.com.au, same pattern occurred in America. People don't move more than two zip codes. And there's a ridiculous social science statistic in America, something like 80% of people live within um, 25 miles of where they were born. So when you stop worrying about generating traffic to your listing from the other side of the country, and start realizing that, I mean, after having just sold a house, I've got incredible recency bias on this one. The buyer of this house lived 400 meters away. They knew the neighborhood. And that is the majority of real estate transactions in Australia. So those big companies are terrible at local. You're brilliant, exploit that.
2: And solve the struggle.
0: It is a struggle. Getting property is a big struggle in Australia today. Renting, purchasing, uh, there are structural reasons why that has occurred. That's not going to get any easier. And uh, therein lies the challenge.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Nigel Dalton, thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you at the conference.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate Podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com.